Hi, and welcome to the Willow Ridge Church Weekly Podcast. This is where you can find audio for our current and past sermons. We hope that you enjoy this week's installment, and be sure to check back next week to hear the latest message. Thanks for listening. Good morning, Willow Ridge Church. Awesome. If you've got your Bibles with you this morning, I hope you do. Go and open them up to Matthew 21, and then we'll jump over to Matthew 23 this morning as we continue in our series on the fruit of the Spirit. Well, it is good to be back with you guys this morning. I missed last Sunday. I had the privilege and opportunity to be with our high school team who left out last week to go serve with Hope Valley Church in West Jordan, Utah. And it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. Uh, West Jordan is one of the cities um, that make up the region of the valley in Salt Lake, the Salt Lake Valley. I did not realize, relatively speaking, how small uh, Salt Lake City itself is and all of the cities around it that go in to make up the, the valley area where we were. But we had a wonderful, wonderful week of ministry that was there. Uh, I do want to share a little bit about some of the things that we did and some of the people that we met. And so you can continue to pray for the work that's being done there. Uh, we as a church partner with Hope Valley Church with Dustin and Sarah Stottman. Two years ago, they left their home church in Oklahoma as God called them to plant a church in Salt Lake City area in the, in the valley that's there. Now, a lot of people think United States, they think reached people groups, right? We talk about unreached people groups, and that's supposed to be places like Syria and Afghanistan. But yet one of the most unreached places in the world is Salt Lake City. In fact, percentage-wise, there's more believers in Iran and Afghanistan than there are in Salt Lake City. And so that gives you some perspective of the lostness uh, that was there. So we as a church have been partnering with them. This is our second trip that we've gone out there to work with Dustin and Sarah. And we also provide for them, for their church, through the tithes and offerings that you give. We budget for them uh, each week. Now, the types of people that are in Utah, when we look at different people groups that are there and the ones that we have the opportunity to minister to, would largely fall into one of two classifications. Now, evangelical Christians make up less than 2% of the population. So roughly about 96% of the rest of the population of the Salt Lake City Valley area would fall into one of two classifications. The first uh, being Mormons, Latter-day Saints, right, who are an unreached people group and who were there. And then another group of people who would just consider themselves non-religious, meaning they would say they do not have beliefs about God, but yet they do have a very core belief about God, whether it is an atheistic belief or an agnostic belief. And so as our high schoolers went out to minister, right, these were the groups that they were largely ministering to. And so the work that we did was to help engage them with the gospel or at a base level, engage them with Christians and engage them with Hope Valley Church so that maybe the Lord will begin to do a work in their heart and draw people to himself and use the ministry of Hope Valley Church in order to do that. So we started off the week, we walked around several neighborhoods just simply handing out a card, inviting families and individuals to either the VBS that we were going to be doing at Antelope Elementary that was right across from the, the neighborhoods, which 
was named appropriately as there was always antelopes in the field right beside it, which was pretty cool for us from South Carolina, right, to be able to see that, or to invite them to Hope Valley Church. And so we started off the week with, with doing that. And then as the week got going in the morning, we would do park ministry, which meant uh, our group was wired perfectly for this. We would go out into the parks, form relationships uh, by doing crafts or playing games. So there was a lot of kickball, there was a lot of red light, green light, a lot of games that we could do with the kids. And about 30,000 bracelets were made um, uh, by, by, by our craft team out there doing that. And in that, we begin to have conversations. And I want to share one of the conversations. I didn't have a privilege to have an opportunity to talk to this family, but, but some of our students did. So what would happen is we'd get to the park and we'd scatter these teenagers all over the park. And we would tell them, like, don't go up to the kids, go up to the parents, right? We want to give the parents the opportunity. We don't want to be the creepos that go and like, just for their kids, right? So we go and we talk with the parents. And, and one of our students, I believe it was Micah, Hood uh, walked up to this lady who was there, and, and he said, hey, uh, we're with Hope Valley. And they hand him a card. We're with Hope Valley Church. Uh, we're doing this, this park ministry this morning. We got some crafts and some games going on. Uh, we would just love for the opportunity if you wanted to come over and, and your kids want to come over and just be a part of this. And her response was not a response that we're typically used to. She said no, which we were used to know. There's a lot of people who weren't comfortable with that. We want to be respectful of that. And, and, and so she said no. And she said, um, I'm so against any form of religion because I believe that all religions are destructive at their core. So for me to allow my kids to come over there and be a part of that would be something that I feel like would be de detrimental to them. And I disagree with what you're doing. So he said, well, thank you. And went back. Well, we're there for a couple hours. And more and more and more coming up and coming up and coming up. And finally, toward the end of it, what we noticed as I looked over and saw were her two kids sitting down making a bracelet, and she was over engaged in a conversation with the pastor of the church. Now, whether they woke up this morning and decided to go to church or not, we don't know. But we had a moment where over the course of an hour, a lady looked, observed, and saw what was happening taking place, and her heart was at least softened to the point to where she decided to let her kids go and have the opportunity to engage with Christians and to see what it was about. So that was one of the cool stories. And then, um, and then we had our VBS. Now, in the South, right, we're used to VBSs with hundreds of people in full-blown productions. Well, that's not the case in Utah. In fact, most of the people that we talk to, we would say VBS, and, and people around here know VBS, and they know the abbreviations, they know what. In fact, a lot of people, like, they, they plan their summer calendar, right? Like, this week, this church gets my kids, this church gets my kids, this church gets my kids, so they can work their way through the VBS circuit around the greater Lexington area, right? Um, but that's not the case there, and so we'd have to explain what VBS was. And so our VBS was small. We started out with, with 12 kids on the first night, and then we fluctuated somewhere between six and eight different kids throughout the course of the week. Now, uh, a couple of the dynamics of that, one of the, one of the kids who came was the, were was well, two of the kids were the pastors of Hope Valley Church, their daughters came. And I want to kind of get you guys in, in just a mindset of, of the world in which they live in is not the world in which we live in. Their oldest daughter was a little girl named Ellie, and Ellie was going into the sixth grade, I believe. And I want you to imagine, they've been living there for two years. Coming from Oklahoma, that's a lot like South Carolina, where whether you're saved or not, there's a lot of people that just go to church. It's a very church culture, and they go from a church, evangelical church culture, into Salt Lake City area that is not an evangelical church area. And for two years, every time her church does something, every time her family does something, Ellie invites her friends to come and be a part of it. 
We talked about a lot of this with our students while we were there. Because for two years, no one has shown up. I said, imagine that, kids, to our students. Imagine for two years, the kids who invite you to their birthday parties, the kids who invite you over to their homes, the kids that invite you into their activities, right? You're going to theirs. You're building relationships with them. And this time for comfort for you and nothing, nothing. And then on the first night, Ellie got so excited and her parents got so excited because her best friend at school, who's a Mormon family, right, came walking through the doors. And then the mom, who had been standoffish for years, stayed the entire time and sat down with the pastor's wife, with Ellie's, with Ellie's mom, and talked the entire time about uh, just, just life and had the opportunity to do that. And so it's just a wonderful blessing to be able to see them being to build and form those relationships and have that. Then we got nervous because they didn't come back for night two and night three. We're like, uh, <laughs> they didn't dig it, right? And then night four, they came back and had that opportunity. But I want to introduce you to, uh, we got some pictures of, of two of the other people that were there, and I don't know what order we're going to have them in. And so, all right, so uh, this right here to, to, the, to my left right there eating her bag of Cheetos is Delilah, all right? And, and go ahead and jump to the next picture, right? And this fella in the middle, this is Daniel, all right? So we got Delilah and, and Daniel. Uh, one of the cute things, they're friends, um, and, and on the first night where they were both there together, we, we did a lot, like we did here where we moved to our stations, and Delilah looked at Daniel and said, we have to go to a different area now, would you like to hold my hand? Um, and he said, yeah, and they, they moved to theirs. But uh, here's the cool thing, so Delilah and Daniel got invited uh, because they were one of the homes, or Delilah's home was one of the homes where we dropped off one of the invitations. And so we didn't get to speak with them. We just, we just went and set it on there. And night number one, Delilah and her mom shows up and her mom drops, them, drops Delilah off. Uh, they are a non-churched family. And then night number two, Delilah shows up and she had brought her friend Daniel with her. And so they were there all week. A family that has no concept of, of Christianity, that has no concept of, 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 of who Christ is. Uh, they, they are a lost family. And so by the end of the week, I was overheard a conversation that Dustin and Sarah were having about talking about how cool that it was and what had happened over the course of the week of us doing ministry and partnering with them there is both of them had been reached out to by their families wanting to know more about their church for an opportunity for them to come and worship with them where they can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so just thought about the, just the different dynamics of, of what the Lord is doing and wanted just really to affirm within our students and affirm within, within you guys of, of being a church that, that thinks enough about the gospel, that sins, where all we're doing is, is, is planting seeds in God's water and in God's harvesting and God's using places like Hope Valley Church and Willow Ridge Church who are on the other sides of the, the, the country to join together so people have an opportunity to see, hear, and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? Just a wonderful, wonderful privilege and a wonderful, wonderful opportunity. Uh, it was really interesting. I was talking with, with my kids about it yesterday, just kind of working through some more about what this all means. And, and Grayson said something that I think was, was really interesting. Uh, he and I were talking in, in his experiences in mission trips before, and he said, Dad, you know, he said, this mission trip was, was just really cool because it was different. And I said, how is it different? He says, you know, sometimes we go and we do these mission trips, and when we're done, we can see the work 
that's finished. You know, like we go to build something, we go to, to, to finish, to complete, and, and at the end of that week, right, you, you see what was built, you see what was done. He said, but this one, we, we don't get to see right now the end work. We don't get to see the end result. And so I just want to encourage you, it just really struck me because I feel like a lot of you right now where you may be seated at is you've got an, an unreached, uh, you've got a lost person at work in your neighborhood, or maybe in your home. And you're not seeing the fruit that you want to see. And it was just the reminder for me this week, no one came up to us at any point in time during the week that we were there or at VBS and said, I want Jesus Christ to be my savior. No one. But they heard the gospel. They formed relationships with believers. And we just were faithful. And we're just going to trust that God's doing the work that he's doing. All right? Amen. So thank you guys for your faithfulness for this. Uh, it's continuing on. Uh, we've got 47 uh, mostly middle schoolers, so pray for the adults, right, that are going to be leaving and go up to Black Mountain Children's Home today where they will continue in, in helping them with the work that they're doing as they help to reach uh, these kids that are in this foster care system up there. And so we're just uh, praying for them as well as they go. But I don't want to jump into the message, and, and I'm going to talk real fast this morning, um, but I don't want to jump into the message this morning without thanking Ty Lockridge uh, for stepping up uh, last week and for being faithful to God's word and continuing on. Um, been so busy, brother, I haven't had time to listen to it yet, but I will tell you this, a group of our ladies while we were in Utah, they got on the back porch of our house that morning, and while I was trying to wake up with my cup of coffee, they were engaged and loved every single minute of it. So Ty, thank you for being faithful. We thank you for the Lord sending you uh, to us to be able to step in in times like that. So thank you so much. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we're going to jump in to our message this morning. Lord, we thank you so much for this opportunity to gather here today. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for your spirit. Lord, I pray that as we study this morning, Lord, our hearts will be drawn to you. Lord, that we will be convicted of the sin that's in our life. Lord, for those who do not know you, that maybe today will be the day of relationship with you. Maybe today will be the day of their salvation. Lord, we pray for the families of Delilah and Daniel. Lord, we pray that this morning as they decide what they are going to do with their day, Lord, that they find themselves, Lord, at Hope Valley Church. Lord, we know that they will hear the gospel. Lord, we pray that they will respond. Lord, we pray for all the church planners and missionaries and pastors who were all over the Salt Lake City Valley. Lord, may they be encouraged and blessed. And Lord, may they continue to remain faithful in some of the most difficult areas to do that. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So as we've been doing, we're going to start off with looking at Galatians 5, 22 through 23, where Paul gives us the fruit of the Spirit. He writes and he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Get such things, there is no law. So what we've been looking at for, for a couple months now is each aspect of the fruit of the Spirit. And recognizing that Paul says that we are believers, that we are to have this. This is to be a part of our life as the Spirit of the Lord has filled us in which we live our lives. And so this morning what we're going to look at is gentleness. Now, when we think of gentleness, I want us to understand one of the commentaries that I wrote said this. It says, this gentleness is probably the most difficult word of all the fruit of the Spirit to clearly define. 
because we come with gentleness. We, we come with these preconceived notions about what this means. And in a lot of cases in our world, just like it was during the time of Christ and during the time of Paul, like gentleness can be seen as a weakness. Like maybe there's times to be gentle, but there's times to not be gentle. But we're seeing from here that this would be the fruit of who we are and that we are to always be gentle. And that's going to be difficult sometimes. So what I want us to understand is that when we think of gentleness, and we're going to look at this where Christ says this, that gentleness is meekness, not weakness. It's to embrace the concept of being meek, and it does not mean that we are weak at all. A definition of the, the word that is used in Greek for the word gentle means not being overly impressed by a sense of one's self-importance. So what we gain from this as we look at what it understands to be gentle, to embrace the quality of gentleness in our life, we see directly there's a sense of humility, knowing who we are in light of the gospel. Now, there's nothing about you or me in and of ourselves that is impressive. If anything is, it's us understanding that it's Christ and it's him in us with this. And so when we think about gentleness, I want us to kind of think about it in, in, in twofold, in our relationship with the Lord and our relationship with others. And so gentleness for us as we work through this, we're going to think of humility, thankfulness, and obedience toward God. That when we look at gentleness in the life of a believer, what that means is there's, there's an attitude, there's a posturing of humility, of thankfulness, and obedience toward God. That, that is who we are in understanding in our relationship with him. That I'm humble before him, I'm thankful to him, and I'm obedient to him. And that's how we live our lives. But then also with the gentleness when it comes to others is this, polite and restrained behavior toward others, which brings a freedom from malice and freedom from a vengeful spirit. And what we're going to look at this morning in, in Matthew 21 and in Matthew 23 is how Jesus fully lives out this gentleness in who he is, even in areas where we see on the surface, we're like, I don't know that Jesus was very gentle there, but he was, he was. Jesus sets this early on in his ministry in Matthew 5, 5, as he does a sermon on the mountain, he says, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. And so what Jesus says is you are blessed if you are gentle or if you are meek and it comes with a promise, inheritance into the messianic kingdom. So there's this promise that very early on as Jesus looks out to a crowd that is suffering, that feels oppressed, that feels they have no power, and he says, blessed are the meek, blessed are the gentle. All that you see around will be destroyed. All that you see around will fall. It will fail. But blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So look at Matthew 21. Matthew 21 through Matthew 20, oh, really all of it, but, but, but this this morning, we're going to see the, the gentleness of Jesus. The gentleness of Jesus. The, 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 the Jesus who, who draws the, the kids to him. That's one of the stories that we, that we looked at in, in one of our times uh, this past week. 
was the disciples are saying, no, 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 keep the kids away, keep the kids away, keep the kids away. And Jesus is like, no, 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 let them come to me. Unless you come to me like a child, right? Faith like a child. There's this picture of gentleness. And this is what we see. I'm going to read verses 1 through 11. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, go into the village in front of you. And immediately you will find a donkey tied in a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. And this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden." The disciples went and did just as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put them on their cloaks, and he sat on them. And most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And so as we look at these first 11 verses, what we see right here is we get this picture of the gentle Messiah. We get this picture of Jesus. And Matthew 21 begins what, what we know as Jesus' triumphal entry, right? It's, it's his journey to the cross is, is speeding up in this moment. And in Matthew 21, Jesus takes a pretty strong shift in his ministry model of what we see. Up until this moment, right, Jesus isn't necessarily overly drawing attention to himself. Most of his ministry is taking place out in the countryside. Like, like Jesus did not have a very urban ministry in the cities. Jesus was mostly out in the suburbs, out in the country, out on the outsides of the cities. And oftentimes you even see this, right? When Jesus does something, Jesus heals, Jesus does these things. Oftentimes, not always, but a lot of times Jesus is like, hey, don't, don't tell anyone about this, right? Like, like keep this quiet. But what we see here in this moment is Jesus has been been avoiding, but now Jesus is entering into this city that at this time would have had about two million people, both residents and visitors for the Passover to come in, about two million people, and Jesus is proclaiming, this is who I am. I've come here not to fulfill some earthly expectations of a king but I've come here as your gentle Messiah to fulfill the prophecy of Zechariah as king. And as he comes in, and, and we see this even for those as close to Jesus as the disciples, there was all of these expectations about who he would be for them in an earthly rule. But Jesus says, no, no, this is going to be differently. As Jesus comes into, as he's being led into, Jesus isn't being led in by an army who will invade and take over, but he's led by a few disciples, scraggly castoffs from everyone else that escort him in. He came in not on a parade of chariots and royal horses, but yet on the back of a, of a donkey as he journeys in. 
Jesus came not greeted by dignitaries and politicians, but by the common people of the town. Jesus came not, not for, for, for their approval, but they were shouting, Hosanna, 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 but yet just a few days later would, would shout, crucify, crucify, crucify. Jesus came for his throne, not by taking life, but yet by offering his lives for those who were guilty. Jesus came in gentleness, in humility, in thankfulness, in obedience to the Father. Jesus came in humility of the thoughts and the actions and what he would do for others. This is the gentle Messiah that we see. Now as we read through, and we're going to look at some of these. In fact, just one verse later in verse 12 here in just a moment, we'll, we'll start this. And you're going to say, but, but Bo, that doesn't look like Jesus being very gentle. And you're right if we define gentleness the way that we see it. But even in the acts of what Jesus is going to do, we see humility, thankfulness, and obedience toward the Father, and polite and restrained in thinking of others in his behavior, right? Look at verse 12 and 13 in Matthew 21. Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And what we see here is the obedient servant. The obedient servant. Now, there's been a lot of speculation about what Jesus looks like. Right? From the color of his skin to the color of his hair. And I'll be honest with you, I, I don't know. I don't know in those physical contexts what Jesus exactly looked like. But I believe Jesus in his physical presence was a large enough man that when he walked in the room, you took notice. Why do I believe that? Because of this. Now, think about this. Go to the mall today and go start turning over tables. Go try to chase everybody out. There's some big people in here. I don't know if at one we could do that, but Jesus did. Jesus in his physical presence was dominating enough that he came in and people fled when he showed what he was going to do. But being the obedient servant. He's the area of the temple that Jesus entered was the area of the temple where people would purchase what they needed in order to offer their sacrifice to God, which was required that they bring their sacrifice. But the manner in which it happened was not. What had happened was the place that should have been for worship and prayer was turned into a place of business, and a lot of people believe a place of deep corruption and a place where some of those who weren't from this part, who weren't from Jerusalem, were being taken advantage of, even they were required to be in Jerusalem for Passover. Matthew's account says that it was a house, that Jesus claims this is a house of prayer, but Mark says, 
that this was a house of prayer for all nations, which leads us to believe that there were people being also being excluded. And as Jesus came in to establish, here's the point. The temple had become more about Jewish nationalism and business than it had about worship and prayer. And Jesus says this is unacceptable, unacceptable. And what our culture would say is him not being gentle, I would argue as Jesus is being very gentle, as he tosses over the tables and as he runs them out of the temple courtyard that's there. Because he did it in humility and thankfulness and obedience to the Lord. And he did it in polite, stick with me, restrained behavior toward others. He could have condemned them. And instead, just like he took mine and just like he took yours, he took their sins and he took them to the cross. In that moment. So what we see here is the obedient servant of Christ. Now, now jump over to, to chapter 23. During, during the rest of 21 and 22, Jesus does some wonderful teaching. And then in 23, we, we're going to see another moment of conflict. Let's look at the first three verses. It says, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but they do not practice. Now, this few words of Jesus, and he continues on with describing what this looks like in their life. But what Jesus is doing here in this moment, we understand as the gentle Messiah, he is also the confronter of sin. Jesus is addressing the religious elite, those who think they've got it all figured out, and what he's bringing before them is the acknowledgement of the depth of their depravity and the sin in which they live. You see, being gentle does not mean that you don't deal with sin, your sin and the sin of others. The exact opposite. Being gentle means you deal with it. And look at what Jesus does. Here, Scripture tells us that Jesus gives the seven woes to the scribes and the Pharisees. Now, now the woe here means that Jesus is pronouncing judgment. This is a heavy word. This is a word that would be used in a judicial court to pronounce a guilty judgment on them. And Jesus looks at them and seven different times he says, woe to them, you are guilty. A group of individuals who feel like they are not guilty of anything at all. A group of people who feel like in and of themselves they are achieving and have achieved perfection that God requires from them. Jesus brings some harsh words to them. In verse 13, he calls them hypocrites and goes on to tell them that through their teachings and through their actions and what they do, not only do they condemn themselves, but they condemn others to hell as well. In verse 15, he refers to them as hypocrites and children of hell. 
In verse 16, Jesus says that they are fools. In verse 23, he says not only are, are, are they in rebellion of this, but they neglect justice. In verse 25, he refers to them as greedy. In verse 27, he says that they are whitewashed tombs, spiritually dead. In verse 29, he refers to them as murderers. Murderers. Jesus does not hold back. Jesus is the confronter of the sin. So how is this gentle? How is this continued evidence of the gentleness of Christ? Because of their air that still fills their lungs and their moment and opportunity to understand Jesus as the Messiah and repent. And in verse 37, when we look back at the end of chapter 23, he looks over all of Jerusalem. And the scripture tells us that he laments over Jerusalem. And Jesus grieves. Verse 37 through 39. Oh, Jerusalem. Jerusalem. The city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you are not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so Jesus, in the journey that he knows will lead him to the cross, looks over the city and he grieves. One of the things that we had the opportunity to do while we were on our trip was go up to some tops of some mountains. And I want to be honest with you, it was one of the most beautiful in both of the settings, one of the most beautiful pictures that I'd ever had the privilege and the opportunity to see in person with my own eyes. One of the places we went, I believe the name of it was, was Ensign Mount. It was the, 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 the top of the mountain that it is believed that when the uh, Mormon pioneers came to Salt Lake area, right, because it was not anything at that point, it was all wilderness and desert, that they came over this mount and they were able to look out and see down into this valley and it was decided that this is where Mormonism's home would be and that this is where they would settle and they did. And as we hiked to the top of this point, the first thing that came through my mind is, boy, I'm out of shape, right? Still feeling it right through here, all right? But then the second thing, when you look past the beauty, was the depth of the lostness. And the men and the women and the children who were there, without the hope of Christ. And so Jesus goes over and he laments over Jerusalem. He laments because the opportunity for salvation that have passed those who have rejected. The people that have rejected God's messengers, the people who have rejected him and the consequence for that. You see, Jesus in all of this, what we're continuing to see 
is the beautiful picture of his gentleness. This week, what I learned about myself as we walked around and as we looked is sometimes even in my heart, there's a propensity for me to get a little happy when someone gets what they deserve. When someone gets what they deserve. Well, that's you. You got it. They had rejected him. They had mocked him. They would beat him. They would crucify him. And Jesus, his response was to grieve. Not for himself, but for them. So what does it mean, as we wrap up, what does it mean to be gentle like Jesus? Because it's not just enough for us to point to a gentle Savior. Paul calls us, Jesus calls us, to be gentle, to be meek. So in light of these two chapters, like what does that look like for us? I got away from the house this week for a few hours to, to get some quiet, and I'll be honest, a cup of Starbucks coffee, all right? As you studied through this and reading over it, God laid these three things, and we'll close with these on my heart. We'll close with these. He laid these on my heart. Number one, it means taking up your cross. Taking up your cross. And Jesus' journey to the cross did not begin on the road to Jerusalem. It began in a manger in Bethlehem. From his birth, this is his journey that he would go. And from our birth, our new life in Christ, our rebirth that we are given by him comes with a very clean expectations from the Lord. Daily, daily, take up our cross and follow him. And that means is what we see of Jesus in obedience to the Father is the level of obedience for us. That I lay down my rights, I lay down my privileges, I lay down my uh, preferences, I lay down my disagreements, I lay down my, 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 my actions, I lay down your actions, I lay all these down and I take up my cross, not to follow my agenda, my goals, my will, but to follow his and it's what we see in the life of Christ, of everything that the Father had laid out for him, the Son took on and walked with. And then Jesus, in our salvation, he gives us his Spirit, the Holy Spirit in Trinity, the Godhead that lives in us, that we would follow after him, that we would take up our cross, that we would be willing to suffer, that we'd be willing to lay aside, that in the moment of gentleness is found in servanthood to the King. And we would take up after him. So gentleness begins by taking up your cross. And then the second, taking up your cross before you turn over a table. Some of us, man, we love to turn over tables. Table, 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 table. But I want to ask you this. Sometimes, man, there's some tables we need to turn over. In fact, the sin that most of us probably suffer from is not being willing to turn over a table. That's probably most of us, that we'll become blind to it, we'll ignore it, we won't, we won't do what God's called us to. But if your will, if, you're, if kind of who you are is that, I want to just ask you this question. Jesus turned over the tables as he was headed to get on the cross. And are you, as you take up your cross every single day, are you doing that in the posture where you're turning over the table? 
Listen, I'm not saying don't call out sin. I'm not saying don't address it. In fact, I'm saying I am. I am. Do it for the glory of the Lord. But in that, are we doing it in our servanthood to the Lord or are we doing it as we're serving ourselves? And then the last thing, grieve over sin. Grieve over sin. Grieve over your sin and grieve over the sin of others. Sin breaks the heart of God. Our sin that Jesus came to die for, would we be willing to grieve over it as well? Before anger filtrates, grieve. Before your wrath wants to take over, grieve. Because we lived, we live in a lost and broken world. Let's let God be the judge and let's let us just grieve. Would you pray with me? Lord, we come to you this morning. Lord, again, we thank you for the wonderful privilege that you give us to send missionaries and to go. But when we come back from the trip, Lord, we're called to be missionaries here as well. And so, Lord, this morning what we have gathered in this place is a group of men, women, and children who are called to go to carry the message of Jesus where they live, where they work, where they play. And, Lord, may we take that. Jesus, we thank you for embodying the gentle servant, the gentle Messiah. Lord, because we are here with an opportunity to worship you, because of your obedience to the Father who sent you. So Lord, we thank you for being that gentle Messiah who came on the back of a donkey, who came before a crowd that would one day shout Hosanna and one day shout crucify. kept your eyes on the Father. We thank you for being the obedient servant. Lord, I know that in my life on the day of my salvation until today, Lord, you're turning over tables in my heart and in my life, confronting me over the sin that's in my life. Lord, I pray that we would continue to repent of our actions that are not of you, that do not glorify you. And Lord, we would be willing to be those same obedient servants in our own homes, in our lives, as you've called us, as you've placed us, as you've led us. Lord, confronting sin and bringing in hope, bringing in joy, and bringing in love and kindness and compassion. gentle like you daily taking up our cross daily spreading hope daily forming relationships with men and women and children who don't know you 
daily sharing the gospel. Lord, we thank you for the wonderful privilege of what it means to do that. Lord, as we are here this morning, I pray if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, that today would be the day of their salvation. I pray that today would be the day where they admit that they are a sinner and they would acknowledge within themselves, Lord, that you died on the cross for their sin. Lord, I pray that they would place their belief, their hope, their trust in you and in you alone, that you are the one true God, that you are their savior, that they would not place their faith, hope, and trust in themselves or in others, but in you that they would confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and that today would be the day of their salvation. We'll celebrate you for it. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Thanks again for listening to the Willow Ridge Church weekly podcast. We hope that you enjoyed listening to this week's message. If you'd like to learn more about who we are or explore additional resources, visit us online at www.willowridgechurch.com or by searching for Willow Ridge Church on Facebook and Instagram.